0: This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor makes it super easy to create a podcast. Record or edit right from your phone or computer, add music and effects, and then publish. With one click, Anchor will distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple, and all the other platforms. And here's the best thing. Anchor will help you make money from your podcast by finding you sponsors. We use Anchor here on Talk Money, and it's everything we need in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now on to the show
1: oh my god i'd walk into the office and be like girls we have an extra four million dollars they'd be like what and i'm like i don't know i don't know where it's coming from it just i don't know how this is happening but like i log in and it says it's there and i see
0: you're listening to talk money and i'm your host meshlickani that's my buddy kane an entrepreneur now don't get me wrong he's smart he's successful but even he'll tell you he got into a nutty situation no one just has millions of dollars and can't explain it
1: i had bought bitcoin Relatively early on. In 2011, I bought 11 coins.
0: You, you bought Bitcoin back in 2011? 2011. How did that happen?
1: Oh, my God. Um, I was running a nonprofit at the time. Jasmine, this 19-year-old, super smart student at my nonprofit, came in one day, and she was like a little hacker. Um, she like came, got food, went to her laptop, and did not leave. I'm like, I went in there. I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm trading Bitcoin. What? And she's like, I'm trading big." I'm like, what is that? And she was like, oh, it's this cryptocurrency, blah, 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 And I like, I think it was at, was that like $40 or something like that? And I spent like 500 bucks and bought 11 <laughs> and just, and then forgot about them
0: um, and actually saw a pretty great return on them. And Kane sold seven of his Bitcoin and ended up with $30,000. That's only after investing $500. Sounds great. Sounds easy, right? I mean, after all. Kane doesn't sound like he knows what he's doing, does he? If the story ended there, it'd be a nice anecdote about luck. Instead, he went and got himself into a hell of a headache.
1: And cashing out those coins, I decided to give my brother $10,000 of my earnings um, because he had become obsessed with altcoins. Altcoins are a bit different than Bitcoin. And my brother, when he becomes obsessed with something, becomes the most knowledgeable person in the world about it. Probably one of the smartest people I know, but also happens to be just like king of shade and like loves a good get rich scheme. Get rich quick scheme. So I put the money into a Coinbase account. He took it over. And over the next couple months, he went to town. I'm talking like up 20 hours a day, trading constantly. And in no time, that $10,000 became millions of dollars. At first, I thought it was, like, totally bogus. I was like, how the hell is this happening? Literally, I'd log into the account every day, and it would go up a million dollars. And then I'd log in three days later, and it'd go up a million dollars. I have $14 million in altcoins. What the hell is going on? Like, I've won the fucking jackpot.
0: What did you know about altcoins at the time?
1: A lot of them were, like, scams. But then there were some that were considered, like, valid, right? And they were, like, legitimate altcoins. And my brother was across the spectrum, right? And, like, every day it was up, down, trade this one, trade that one. There would be, like, coin drops where he'd be like, you have to log in now, they're going to give us a 1,000 free coins, right, if you, like, sign up. It was so crazy. And I didn't totally understand it. Um, But I had my brother buying... 2000 coins of something that was at like 0.01 cents when he bought it, and showing it to me at $3, $4, and that return is insane,
0: right? That is an insane return, but it's going to get crazier, and we'll hear more about that later in this episode. Welcome back to our two part special on cryptocurrencies. As always, it's my job to help demystify all the topics that your money goes into. Last week, we covered the foundation of Bitcoin, and today, we're talking about buying, storing, and investing in Bitcoin and crypto. This is Cryptocurrencies Part 2. As we discussed in the last episode, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are new technology and can be very volatile. They are risky assets. You have a high probability of losing your money. Now, I'm not telling you whether you should buy Bitcoin. That's your own decision to make. But... If you choose to, I want to prepare you on how to take an intelligent investment approach. The opposite of what we've seen with Kane and his brother. Too many times we see headlines that talk about big wins and big losses when it comes to investing. We're going to learn how to think smart about this. Let's get started. So what does it mean to invest in cryptocurrency? I mean, what are you actually investing in? Let's take a step back. What does it mean to buy a stock in a company like Apple? They create these amazing products like laptops and smartphones that we want, and as we continue to buy their products and the world uses them, the company becomes more and more valuable, and it's reflected in their stock price. They're fundamentally creating value, right? But what does that mean for something like Bitcoin? In the last episode, you'll remember we spoke about people liking Bitcoin because it's a store of value, that it's seizure-resistant, easily transferable, and not reliant on third parties like a bank or a government. That's its intrinsic value. A lot of people are getting into it, but not most people, and certainly not enough to solely justify its valuation. When an investor buys Bitcoin, they're thinking about something further
2: down the line. I think it's good to think of all cryptocurrency a little bit like DC investments, with Bitcoin being by far the most mature. That's
0: Ari Paul. He's a managing partner at Block Tower Capital, a hedge fund that invests in and trades cryptocurrencies. Previously, Ari was an investor at the University of Chicago Endowment, and full disclosure, I am an investor in Ari's fund.
2: So the valuation of Bitcoin is very much a bet on the future. It's a bet on future adoption. We don't know for sure. So Bitcoin may not be the winning cryptocurrency. Um, We don't really know what its ultimate fair value, terminal value will be. And so when we're valuing Microsoft stock, there's very well-established standards and it's a very mature company. It's producing cash flow every year. It's very predictable what next year's cash flow will be. Uh, And so we can value within a very narrow band. But if you're trying to value the next Microsoft, very, very early, you might say to yourself, this thing, if it wins its niche and it does what we hope it does and it achieves its adoption, it's going to be worth $100 billion. What's the fair value of that today? Well, it very much depends on the probability, right? So you may wake up one morning and say, I think the chance of it winning that is 10%. Well, then it's worth 10 billion. I'm oversimplifying. Maybe some small thing happens and now you think the odds are 20%. The fair value just doubled. So when you're dealing with these early stage assets, they're going to be very volatile because you're betting on the future and the future is far out. And the terminal value is so much greater than the intrinsic value today. The value people are deriving from it in real usage today for things like keeping their wealth secure. But the
0: pool of people using Bitcoin is very small. And so none of those uses are meeting their full potential. The range of services that you can access and goods you can buy are still limited by the number of participants. The terminal value comes into play if Bitcoin establishes itself as the widely adopted cryptocurrency, and a significant portion of the population starts using it, then the amount of goods you can buy, the number of people you can transact with, goes sky high. Then it'll be worth more to possess it, and probably more stable too. But right now, that's all still speculative. So, how should people think about investing their wealth in this?
2: So, um, all early assets like that are hyper volatile, um, and that volatility reflects genuine uncertainty. All markets have these cycles that are, partially, among other things, driven by greed and and fear elements. In cryptocurrency, historically, those cycles have been, instead of eight to 10 years, they've been more like two years. That's probably going to gradually grow over time as this becomes more mature, but they're going to be pretty short, volatile cycles for the foreseeable future. So maybe the next cycle will be three years, and the next one after that, four years. My advice to people who are looking to invest in it is very seriously, don't invest more than you can afford to lose. Don't invest more than you can afford to lose. Let this be your mantra. If this
0: goes to zero, it shouldn't have a meaningful impact on your life. You should still be able to buy groceries, pay rent, pay your bills, send your kids to school. What do you have on the side to invest?
2: Think about what that number is and allocate your resources accordingly. Without knowing a person's circumstances, I couldn't recommend a number. But if I had to give a heuristic, if you were to put something like 5% of your investable assets in Bitcoin, that would probably not be a horrible decision because- If you've chosen the right percentage of your net worth to put in investable assets, that's probably a reasonable amount. Where if Bitcoin falls 90%, uh, you might actually be happy because you can now add more. You can dollar cost average in, right? Um, So one thing I tell people is if you would be upset that Bitcoin would fall by half, you probably have too much because you're probably over allocated. You, You should have an amount in where a dip is potentially a buying opportunity and where it's just part of a broader portfolio.
0: You can't time the market. Maybe Bitcoin goes up 5x from here great. Maybe it goes down 80% from here. It shouldn't have an impact on your life. If anything, maybe you see it as a buying opportunity. Now you can get more at a cheaper price. Of course, that's only good news if Bitcoin is indeed the right long-term bet. I'm not recommending the strategy, but this is
2: one way you can think about it. Ari, on the other hand, is betting his career on this. I am very bullish on it, uh, but that's subjective. It's not a guaranteed thing. There's no guarantees in life. And the worst possible thing is you're right on that thesis, but you get washed out.
0: Smart investors understand the risk they're taking. The price of these assets move like crazy. One day, Bitcoin is at $1,000. And the next thing you know, it's at $20,000. And then back down to $3,500. Can you explain what happened most recently? So in 2017, we had this big run,
2: and then everything crashed. And now we're kind of back into it again in this very, very short period of time. All markets go through cycles for a mix of reasons, one of them being psychological where You'll have some fundamental phenomena that is creating value. So you can think about that as the introduction of the personal computer, the railroad, the internet. There's some true fundamental value creation, and it's often not really well understood. There might be a small group of very excited people, uh, but it doesn't have wide coverage. It's not totally understood and And that starts building the momentum, the year after year returns, attracts investors and speculators, people gain conviction. Uh, you have educators, popularizers. At some point, it starts feeling inevitable, and the returns start feeling inevitable. So you'll have you know six months in a row of Bitcoin up every month, and it feels like a risk-free trade. It's easy, right? It just happens. Every month, you make money. And then people start getting greedy, right? They start taking it for granted. They, they go from being strong-hand fundamental investors, people who are willing to can tolerate volatility, to being very weak hands. Strong and weak hands are terms often used in trading and in poker. And the idea of a strong hand is that's someone who can withstand a sell-off and they're not going to panic. So Warren Buffett is a very strong hand. He's buying when people are panicking. A weak hand is someone who's like a momentum trader. The minute the momentum turns, they're out. So it looks easy. The weak hands pile in. Late 2017, you had people, I mean, literally people on social media, they were telling their friends, Ripple goes up every day and Bitcoin goes up every month. And it's the top performing asset class for the last five years every year. And how can you miss that? It just feels easy and obvious. And people put more money than they should. And whatever that fundamental value creation trend line is, the price then goes above it, sometimes way above it. And then often a very minor event is the turning point to create the collapse. A good analogy to compare is to remember the internet bubble of
0: 2000. Tech companies were IPOing left and right, and stocks were soaring. But a lot of them weren't making any revenue, it was all speculation. Many companies had terrible business plans, and the technology, the adoption, the distribution wasn't as ready as people hoped. And in one moment, it all came crashing down. Many investors were scared off, but there were a few investors who really understood the overall potential of the internet. They stuck around, invested in the right companies, and over time it paid off. Think about how long it took Amazon to become the behemoth it is today. Back in 1995, it was just a place you could buy books online.
2: So in cryptocurrency, you had real fundamental value creation, uh, things being built, fiat on ramps, exchanges, the technology being built, brand awareness, um, all of these fundamental value creation. But then you had the speculators come in who drive the price too high, too fast. Then it crashes. The weak hands are disillusioned. They leave. Then what we had last year was kind of the slow value creation again.
0: By the summer of 2019, we started to see the price of Bitcoin move up again, and quite fast, doubling in price between May and August. If you're just now interested in Bitcoin, is it too late? Did you miss the run?
2: I had that same kind of thinking when I was first looking at the space. I actually looked at Bitcoin in 2013. As a trader, as an investor, it's very weird buying something after it's up 10X, 20X, 40X. Um, I think the way I got comfortable with that was believing in the fundamental value. You know, if if you really believe that, whether it's Facebook or Uber or Microsoft or Bitcoin, that it is going to fulfill a fundamental demand in the world that is a trillion dollar addressable market, Um, that's how you get conviction because you don't care where it came from. You look at where it is today versus where it can be.
0: Addressable market just means the market the tech or company can serve. For example, a lot of investors passed on Uber because they thought the total addressable market was small, people using luxury black cars, when in fact Uber created a much larger addressable market that turned out to be tens of millions of people using a global taxi system.
2: So when I look at Bitcoin today, um, I say, I think Bitcoin is attacking an addressable market that is easily over $20 trillion. I don't know what its probability of capturing that market is, but I think it's probably pretty high. It's probably more than 25%. So when I look at it that way, I don't care where it was a year ago or what the, about the missed opportunities of the past. I mean, yeah, I wish I had bought it for 10 cents back in 2010, but I wish I had bought Facebook, you know, in the seed round, right? Yeah. Um, but, but cryptocurrency as a whole and Bitcoin in particular are so, so, so early- relative to that addressable market that they're targeting? I made a couple mistakes. I think
0: back in 2013, I opened up a Coinbase account and I bought Bitcoin. I think it was around like four, 450 bucks, And it went up and I sold it for like $500. Um, you know, this goes into that mentality of like people think trading is a good thing and take profits. I ended up just netting um, a loss uh, because I kept trying to do that and what I should have done is just kept it and not touched it. Um, how do you tell someone the difference between long-term investing and trading in, in something that's so volatile like
2: this? So the nice thing about markets is you don't have to compete against the day trader. If you buy and hold, you're not competing against them and why would you want to? So my general advice to everyone is true of all markets is don't trade unless you're doing it full time and you're a professional. Why compete against the professionals at their own game, right? Lead your life, do whatever it is you want to do, and um, have the allocation you're comfortable with in a buy and hold way. There's a lot of benefits to that. So you're you're not going to have the tax overhead. You're not going to have the exchange slippage and the fees. You're not going to have the mental stress. You're not going to spend the time. And your results are very likely to be the same or better than if you tried to trade.
0: One thing that people do to take advantage of market growth while avoiding risk is to diversify their portfolio. They invest in a basket of blue-chip stocks like Apple, Microsoft, and Walmart. The idea is that the potential loss of one investment is outweighed by the potential wins of the other ones. Sure, you might cancel out strong gains, but the goal is to protect yourself from the downside.
2: In traditional markets, it's pretty easy to get diversified exposure. You know, you can buy an ETF, S&P 500, and you kind of have general exposure to to US economic activity or even globally, right? And you can get that with very low fees and with very little mental energy.
0: With all the different cryptocurrencies out there, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, Monero, wouldn't a diversified portfolio be useful?
2: Cryptocurrency, there, unfortunately, is not really an option for that. It's not just because there isn't a basket vehicle you can invest in. It's because the nature of the assets is different. So if I diversify across companies, we're in a world where there are many competing companies that are all profitable, right? So I can be in Microsoft and IBM and Facebook and Uber and 100 other companies, and they can all succeed. They can all generate profit. This is a debate in the cryptocurrency world of how many winning cryptocurrencies will there be? And we don't really know. We don't, it, it's a fundamental question. It's something that as an investor, I'm betting on actively, and I might be wrong about. But some cryptocurrencies may be competing directly head-to-head in a winner-take-all market. Others may be you know, attacking different niches. That's a little bit unknown at this point. We don't know how these assets will evolve. It's a little bit like, um, will Facebook grow to directly compete head-to-head with PayPal? Maybe Uber will be directly competing with IBM on self-driving cars, you know? So we don't really have that model. Uh, It may be that some other asset replaces Bitcoin. Maybe it's one of the currencies we mentioned, like
0: Ethereum. Or maybe it doesn't exist yet. Ari's got his own idea on how he's betting,
2: though. So my advice is the simplest is definitely buy Bitcoin. Um, If you really wanted to diversify and get slightly broader exposure, it would be buy a few of the largest coins in addition as a minority. So maybe you would have 60% of your portfolio in Bitcoin, 40% in some of the other top coins listed on Coinbase. But even that, I'm not sure, is better than just Bitcoin.
0: It's challenging enough just to wrap one's head around Bitcoin. How does one even think about the alternatives? And what should we be watching out for?
2: Probably 75% are actual scams. Probably another 20% are accidental scams. And by accidental scams, what I mean is, they have zero chance of success, zero probability of being worth anything. The team behind them are just very naive. Often you have you know a bunch of brilliant 25-year-olds who they know engineering, they know cryptography, but they have no understanding that what they're building has no fundamental value. Um, and so if you invest broadly in ICOs or in other projects, you're very likely to um, get a bad outcome.
0: The ICO. Or initial coin offering. In an ICO, a crypto company or project would raise money from the general public. You give them money, and they in return give you a token or coin representing some ownership of the project. These projects were also known as altcoins. But in the last bull market, there were so many scams out there. A large amount of ICOs failed, and people lost their money. It was astounding. I mean, It's a bit suspect when you have Boxer Floyd Mayweather advertising an altcoin ICO to his followers. Boxer Floyd Mayweather Jr. and music producer DJ Khaled settled their case with the SEC. Investigators found Mayweather did not disclose he was paid by three cryptocurrency companies to promote
2: investments through social media.
0: Will we see this every time we have a rally in the crypto markets?
2: I definitely think we're going to see periodic manias, periodic uh, things like ICOs. Generally, history doesn't exactly repeat. at rhymes. We see that in financial markets. So right now, there's a bit of an increase in interest in what are called IEOs, which are basically ICOs, but hosted by exchanges. There will be many iterations. And the reason I say that with confidence is human greed doesn't go away. And it's incredibly attractive to every angle. So to an entrepreneur, the lore of raising a huge amount of money with no strings attached is incredibly attractive. To an investor, the allure of having a 10X return that is liquid in two months is incredibly attractive. So everyone has an incentive for this to happen. Of course, it's something of a zero-sum game. If there's a scam, there's gonna be a winner and a loser, but everyone likes to think they're the smart money. Everyone wants to think that they're gonna get out before everyone else, and some people will, and most won't.
0: Investing in the right companies or currencies is just part of it. Another factor that goes into investing is liquidity. Liquidity can be life-changing. How fast can you sell an asset and get your money back? You can sell Apple stock instantly at a fair price and be in cash. You can't sell your house instantly, no matter how valuable it is. You have to find the right buyer, negotiate, and it can take months. In the case of cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin is fairly liquid because it has much more adoption and more people own it. But some of these younger or smaller currencies are not. Remember Kane and his brother and their millions of dollars in altcoins? Jump to the 2017 crypto craze.
1: At the height, there was a point where we, I will never forget the day. We're like, at my house in Miami. We're sitting by the pool, and I'm like, we have to cash out. Like, we have won. Like, we are good. Like, let's get the money out. And he, like, looks at me, and he's like, we can't. What do you mean we can't? He's like... I can't like I can get some of it, but like if I liquidate too fast, like no one will buy, no one will sell the whales. Like he's like the whales will tank me. Like they won't let you liquidate. He's like we can't get the money, and I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, no, we're playing the long game, and I'm like, the long game never works in a get rich quick scheme. Like we, the long game is not going to work here, and so we started to try to liquidate, and like systems would go down, coins would just like shut down. You wouldn't be able to like get in or log in like you couldn't get money out and so we just became desperate like being rich on paper i've never had that experience before where you're like how do i have 18 million dollars but i can't touch any of it it was so crazy um and what that obviously led to was not 18 million dollars right the market sort of blew up and, and and we lost almost all of it
0: and so all this cr- came crashing down. You went through the experience. You had this wacky ride. The crypto winter comes around, and what do you do? Are you into it at all anymore?
1: I my brother still very much is like very bullish on it. He's such a like diehard. For me it's just like I can't handle that stress. Like I'm not built for like that roller coaster. And it was like all consuming. You were
0: checking your phone constantly.
1: Oh, constantly. And like we would be checking the account and we'd be logging in and you'd see what was going up. The day South Korea blocked crypto, that was the moment where like my brother didn't sleep for two days. And he was trying to trade and trying to cash out and he was like so manic. And it was just like Plummeting and plummeting and plummeting and plummeting. I've never seen someone like so crazy-eyed in my life.
0: And just like that, $18 million is gone. Or did it ever exist in the first place? I mean, what happened? Ari has an explanation.
2: So a phenomenon that's somewhat well understood now, the reported volume numbers are often just fake, just made up. When judging
0: liquidity, you really have to be careful how you measure adoption. It's not as easy as just looking at how much volume is being traded for a particular coin. Cain got screwed on all coins, But even with Bitcoin, you can't entirely trust the reported numbers of transactions on the exchanges. Exchanges, of course, being the place where you buy and sell your crypto.
2: So a lot of exchanges, particularly ones uh, in China, um, but, but throughout the world, they were reporting numbers that were just fake. So they would say, for example, that they were trading a billion dollars of Bitcoin a day on their exchange. The real number was closer, in some cases, to a million, I mean, nothing. So you would have someone, an investor, who would say, okay, I own a million dollars of this asset. It looks like it trades 10 million dollars a day. I should easily be able to exit. That 10 million just wasn't a real number. So that's one issue. What is the real trading volume? Another angle from liquidity, though, is there's a classic line in finance that uh, liquidity is a coward and it runs at the first sight of trouble. So this is actually true right now in crypto markets today. There's actually very good volume going through, very good real volume, but it's a lot of momentum chasers. So what we're seeing is when Bitcoin is kind of sitting still, very, very easy to do big size. So if Bitcoin is trading at 7000 very easy to trade $10 million at that price. The minute Bitcoin starts moving, though, everyone wants to go with that direction. So suddenly, if you're trying to buy and Bitcoin's rising, there's no seller. Because as it rises, more people are becoming buyers. Short-term traders want to hop on the momentum, and so it becomes very, very hard to buy because everyone's trying to buy it, and the opposite on the way down. Um, What I would generally say is if it's not a top 10 coin, there probably is not going to be millions of dollars of liquidity that you can easily access. Uh, For Bitcoin, though, I would say if you had a $20 million position, you might not be able to trade that instantly, but you could definitely do it over the course of a few days with little market impact. So there is real liquidity in the biggest coins.
0: So that's a bit of the investing side. To recap, when investing in risky assets like crypto, only invest what you're prepared to lose. Don't fall for FOMO and chase. If you're investing with that mindset, you'll set yourself up for trouble. Be patient and think about why you're making this investment. Do you understand the fundamentals of the asset you're investing in? Do you believe in this technology? Is it liquid enough? Don't do it because everyone else is, or because you think you're gonna get rich overnight. Again, I'm not recommending you buy into crypto. My job is to bring transparency and give you the tools to make an educated decision. If you do decide that you wanna buy Bitcoin, whether as an investment or for personal use,
3: what are your options? You know, there are a lot of options out there and it's not always clear what's happening behind the scenes. You'll remember Avichal Garg from our last episode. As a venture
0: capitalist that invests in crypto projects, he has a true understanding of the landscape of how exchanges and other crypto enterprises work.
3: Yeah, it can get pretty complicated pretty, pretty fast. So kind of all the way on the one end of the spectrum, uh, which is like a Robinhood or, or a GBTC, um, what you're really buying is a promise from a company, and it's a legal contract, so it's a binding promise, uh, that says, if you give us... we will go buy one Bitcoin on your behalf, and we'll put it in our account. And in our database, it says that you have one Bitcoin. But from a sort of actual possession perspective, that company is doing all of the hard work around security. And when you sell it, you're essentially telling the company, hey, I want my money back. And then what they do on the back end is they turn around and go sell that Bitcoin on the market. So that's kind of the easiest and simplest way to do it. You don't have to think about wallets. You don't have to think about custody. None of this sort of crypto-specific stuff. It's almost like if you could log into a Fidelity account and you push a button, you don't really know what happens behind the scenes or how the shares settle or or, any of that. All of that's sort of abstracted out for you. And that's kind of the easiest way to do it. The second is to use a a sort of a crypto-specific solution, something like a Coinbase. And the advantage to doing that is that's all that Coinbase does or that's all that Binance does.
0: Quick disclaimer, Avicuil is an investor in Coinbase. They
3: only do crypto. And not only are they buying it for you and custodying it for you, but they're giving you this extra set of features around potentially taking ownership of the underlying asset. Uh, And so your ability to withdraw ends up being uh, a draw for people. In this case, you're putting your trust
0: in another company. You don't actually own your Bitcoin. You don't have custody of it. They do. The company is just promising that you have a right to it. It's sort of like having a bank hold on to your money versus keeping it under your mattress, except you don't know if the bank is going to be around that
3: long. There are a lot of people who say, I don't want to leave my Bitcoin sitting on some exchange for some third party, because what if that third party goes bankrupt? Or what if they get hacked somehow? Um, Because there are billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin sitting on Coinbase. Here's what we call exchange risk.
0: And it's happened enough times that you should be wary. Mt. Gox CEO Mark Carpels issued his mea culpa before news cameras in Tokyo today. The site went offline Tuesday amid allegations of major theft. And Carpels acknowledged today he can't account for 850,000 bitcoins. That's almost 4% of all the bitcoins that will ever be mined. And they're valued at about $425 million.
2: Something we've had over and over and over is exchange failures and broker failures in cryptocurrency. So the most famous being Mt. Gox in 2013, where a a large percentage of all Bitcoin that exists were stolen.
0: Here again is Ari Paul of Block Tower Capital.
2: Even the very reputable, well-run companies, they're still risky companies. So Coinbase, for example, this is an early stage company that basically has one major business line, which is cryptocurrency. It's the biggest hacking target potentially in the world or one of them. And if Coinbase gets hacked and goes bankrupt, you're very unlikely to get your money back. So if you're leaving your money on Coinbase, I'm not trying to pick on Coinbase, if you're leaving your money on any exchange or or with any third-party entity, you are loaning money to that entity. There's a saying in cryptocurrency that if it's not your keys, not your coin, the idea is that ownership of cryptocurrency means you have access to or know your private key. If you buy on Square or you buy on Coinbase, you don't have, you haven't bought Bitcoin. What you've bought is an IOU from a company. A company that only does cryptocurrency is risky no matter how good it is because basically it's a single point of failure. If, if their cryptocurrency gets hacked, they're out of business. If it's a more diversified company, like a Fidelity, for example, Fidelity is much less likely to go bankrupt. It's a high quality borrower. The risk there, you would actually probably want to look at the legal structure because if you're buying Bitcoin from a subsidiary of Fidelity, that subsidiary might go bankrupt without Fidelity being hurt.
0: So those are a few reasons not to want to leave your crypto in the hands of a third-party exchange like Coinbase or Binance. You're taking on the risk of the company. What if they get hacked? What if they go out of business? What about embezzlement? Does that concern you? Some people do have those concerns, and some people are willing to get a bit more technical in order to have actual possession of their Bitcoin.
3: And so a lot of what more sophisticated crypto investors will do is they'll actually withdraw their cryptocurrency from the crypto exchange and put it into what's called a wallet. Once again, a virtual garg. So it's just, there's some wallet address uh, and it has some amount of Bitcoin sitting in it. And And there are lots of ways to do this where you can have hardware wallets. It takes the password that you need to access your Bitcoin and puts it effectively onto a USB key that you hold. So the way it actually works is I can use a wallet service and I can create a wallet and a password for it. And so I write down that password or I move that password into a USB key. And then I tell Coinbase, hey, move the Bitcoin that I bought that's sitting in your wallets over to my wallet. And they can just do that transfer on the Bitcoin blockchain, and the Bitcoin ends up in your wallet, and you're the only person that has the password for it. There are a couple companies making hardware wallets, including Trezor and Ledger. They're not
0: entirely simple to use. You might spend a couple hours figuring it out. But with time, the tech and user experience should get better. Of course, hardware wallets are only one way of going about
3: utilizing and securing your wallet password. What that really fundamentally comes down to is... How paranoid are you about potentially losing this? Well, maybe you want to have multiple versions of that password. So for example, maybe you take your password and you write it down on a piece of paper and you put it in a physical bank vault. Um, Or what you can do is carve up your password into, say, nine different pieces and put those nine different pieces in different parts of the world. So let's say, to use an extreme example, you had a billion dollars of Bitcoin, like just a, a crazy amount of Bitcoin. And you're like, okay, I need to make sure that I never, ever, ever lose the password to this wallet that has a billion dollars in it Um, because there's no recover password here, right? Like if you lose the password, it's gone. It's a decentralized system. Nobody else has your password. And so you might want to secure that in multiple ways. Uh, But at the same time, if you die and you're the only person that has access to that password, that's also really bad because you want to make sure that your heirs can access this billion dollar Bitcoin fortune that you have. For the average person, it's probably not necessary to go to that length.
0: Crypto has a long way to go the user experience, passwords, wallets, storage, it all could be a lot easier.
2: Yeah, a a major missing piece in the cryptocurrency world is the user interfaces, really making this accessible and easy. And I think the reason why it's still so hard today is most people in the cryptocurrency world, a lot of them are engineers, they're very technical, uh, and and I'll have this conversation with, with crypto people and they'll say, Ari, what are you talking about? It's super easy to do this stuff. These are people who tell me it's super easy to use a command line interface, right? It, to them it is, right? Like, you know, to a lot of people, you know, it's not rocket science to use a command line interface to boot to uh, a separate operating. You know, they'll say like, oh, just plug this USB stick into your computer, boot to Linux, do this and that. You know, is it hard? Um, it depends on who it is. I'll tell you, for me, it takes some time.
3: <laughs> that said, let's not discount how far the crypto space has already come. One of my friends and advisors to Electric, uh, Elad Gill wrote this great blog post around how crypto had its Netscape moment and it was really Coinbase. Uh, which was the thing that's going to bring a bunch of people into the space. And it was just the ability to easily buy this asset.
0: So there it is, a 101 on how to buy or invest in Bitcoin and other crypto. Or maybe it's a 101 on why not to do it. But it is exciting to imagine how this world will continue to grow and evolve. Hopefully, I've helped you learn how to make an informed decision about this space. At the very least, don't invest more than you can afford to lose. Understand your risks. Now, how is Kane moving forward? Do you own any
1: Bitcoin still? Yes, I still have four. Okay. I have four
0: Bitcoin and I'm going to have
1: them forever. I don't know what I'm going to do with him, but I have four. Just tell I mean, it.
0: I don't I actually don't even know what's Bitcoin at today. Uh, I haven't looked. I think it's at like 10 or 11,000. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh, shit. Yeah, it, it got, I know it's running, but I didn't realize. I like, I, that's where I'm at right now. I'm just like, yeah. It's like something I'm going to let sit there. And like, maybe one day, I mean, there's some people who think a coin's going to be worth a million dollars. Sure. You know, <laughs> that's how I'm going to get rich. It's going to be 30 years from now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're going to
0: open up your account and you're like, oh, wow, I'm worth uh, like 20 million bucks.
1: Yeah, hopefully. That's the dream. But who knows? You know what I mean? I just let it sit and I don't touch it and I don't even think about it. So, like, my whole thing is like, I had the crypto roller coaster. I tried to get rich quick and I got burned. Um, not really. I mean, we were fine, but it doesn't happen overnight. You don't make $18 million in a month. Like, that's not real. And so we really learned our lesson.
0: I'm Mesh Khani and this has been our two part special on cryptocurrencies. I'd like to thank my guests, Ari Paul and Avichal Garg, and of course, Kane.
1: Dude. I just
0: the the anxiety I feel just talking about those days. Oh, my God. You can find more info about our guests in the show notes. Remember, you can see the written format of this episode on thetalkmoney.com, along with other episodes. Max Miller is Talk Money's producer and editor. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. And as always, thanks to the folks at Anchor. Please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you choose to listen. If you like our podcast, please share it with your friends.